Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I am so glad that you have joined us today. If you are a part of our Lighthouse Church family, we would love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Church NC or online at lighthousechurchnc.org. We want to get you plugged into a connect group or on the dream team so that you are doing life together with people just like you. We hope you enjoyed today's message and stay tuned for more announcements at the end of our podcast. Get into the Word of God. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, and we're going to read a passage of Scripture, very familiar passage of Scripture, and Jesus tells the parable of the two builders. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, we're going to have it up on the screen, and it reads as follows, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Everybody say the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. For the next few minutes, I want to talk to you on this thought that the Lord gave me called built to last. Look at your neighbor and tell him that. Say built to last. And let me lead you in a prayer right there where you're at. Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the amazing worship we've had. We thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity to begin praying about how you would like us to bless Foreigner Mentoring, Alabaster Jar Project, Rhythm Church, and what we are getting ready to do with our future. Father, I pray that over the next three months, you just speak to us, God. You just put it in our hearts what we should give to the house, Lord God, as we sow into these organizations. And now, Father, I pray that as we begin this journey of talking about our legacy, that our hearts and our minds are open, that we would really give an ear, Lord God, so that we would be like the wise builder building on your sayings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Clap your hands one last time. You may be seated. So for those of you that know me, you know that I wasn't always pastoring. I got my master's in business, and I was working in corporate, and I worked for a company called Northrop Grumman. And Northrop Grumman is the second largest defense contractor in the United States, and I spent a lot of time on the road. As a matter of fact, I spent so much time on the road, I considered myself one of those frequent travelers. And uh, anybody have to travel for work in the room? Raise your hands if you've, you've traveled for work. You've done that. Okay. You're going to get what I'm talking about in just a moment. For, for, for those of you that didn't know, I'm about to expose the frequent travelers in the room. There is this weird subculture with frequent travelers. Frequent travelers, I mean, they've got traveling down to a science. And you can always tell when someone knows what they're doing when it comes to travel, and then there's that other person that doesn't do it enough. And so you see it, and, and it's weird because that frequent traveler almost thumbs, you know, he, he almost like lifts his nose in the air to the person who's not a frequent traveler. And the frequent traveler, they'll do something like, they'll get it all on a carry-on suitcase. You see, frequent travelers, they never check baggage in. Oh, they, they never check baggage in. That's just something that they don't do because they want to be in and out. You know, the frequent traveler, they're typically TSA pre-checked, so they don't wait in that long line through security. They're able to move through the line really quickly. But those that don't travel very often, I mean, they are there weighing in their bag, and they're told, you know, it's going to be $75 to fly that because that is over 50 pounds. How many have seen those people? Or how many of you have done that before where you're having to, like, unpack your suitcase, get another backpack because you're trying to save money? How many know what I'm talking about? In 
infrequent travelers. And so I remember my first time going on travel and my boss at the time, I mean, this guy had just traveled so much and it was my very first trip. I'm like so young, right out of college, just eager to enter into the workplace. And there I go and he looking at me, he's like, you, you can't take that on the plane. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I'm checking it. He's like, oh God, for the love of God, you're gonna check it? And I'm like, doesn't everybody check it? And I learned in that moment right there that I definitely was a rookie. I knew in that moment right there I didn't know what I was doing when it came to travel. And it's funny when you're a frequent traveler because you don't even, you, you, you just know the way to move things quickly. And if you're a frequent traveler, you're always getting upgraded on your seats. You, you're very rarely in the back of the plane. Most oftentimes you're in the very front of the plane. And it's just these norms of travel. And so these travelers had this weird, interesting little subculture. As a matter of fact, one time when I was traveling with my wife, because one time some of my business trips, I used to take my wife with me. And my wife, she actually opened my eyes to how rude some of these frequent travelers could be. She's like, if I ever see you act like that frequent traveler who is too busy to help a lady get her luggage in the overhead, she said, you better not come home. You better help someone get their luggage. And I was like, okay, sorry. And she, but she set me straight. So anytime I'd see, anytime I'd see a lady trying to get their luggage in the overhead, I'd be like, okay, my wife said I got help. So I'm trying not to be that, that weird frequent traveler. So I'm trying to help. Sometimes it got awkward because I thought I'm like trying to hit on them. I'm like, come on, really? Just trying to get your luggage up there. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, thanks, Joanna. Um, but there's just this weird subculture with traveling. But, but when you finally get on the airplane, when you finally get on the airplane and, and you sit down, there was always this question that we would ask. We'd sit down, we'd buckle up, look at the person next to us, and, and we would, like 99% of the time, we would ask, so what do you do? How many of you have been on a flight? And the person next to you said, hey, so what do you do? Just make that casual small talk. It's that question. So, so what do you do? And it just gets the dialogue going. It gets the conversation going. I started thinking about that. What is it that you do? Now, I read something recently that I want to contend with today where someone said, what I do is not who I am. What I do is not who I am. If that's the truth, that's kind of an interesting question to ask when you say, hey, what do you do? But, but notice that that's the question we ask. We don't sit down on a flight and say to the person next to us, hey, what do you believe? That's really invasive, right? If you were to sit down on the flight and just say, hey, what do you believe? That's almost like, yo, I don't know if I want to talk to you. That seems very awfully personal, sir, to be asking me a question like, what do I believe? So we ask that question, what do I do? And, and as I mentioned, I've heard people say, well, what I do is not who I am. And it's a very altruistic thing to say. It's a very millennial thing to say, actually, if I were to put a label on it. What I am is not what I do. I'm bigger than that. Are you? Are you? Because I would think at some point in time, what you believe is manifested in what you do. Otherwise, I question, do you really believe it? For example, anybody here believe in eating right? Raise your hand if you believe in eating right. Like, it's like the thing to do. No one? Y'all just believe in eating junk? Thank you, Stephen. I got someone going to preach for me today. We believe it, right? I believe we should eat right. Now, how many of us still, like, don't do it all the time? Oh, come on. There we go. He's still saying we all know that we should eat right. We all know we should lift weights. We, we all know we should have some cardiovascular activity in our day, but, but do we do it? Do we do it? Many of us believe that we ought to be taking better care of our planet, but do you do it? Do you actually get out there and help and clean the oceans and do those sort of things? A lot of us believe things, but what you do really lets me know where your beliefs truly lie what you do. 
Well, because you can believe in many things, but if that belief is never expressed in an action, then I question whether or not you really believe it. Or I would ask, is it that important to you? You see, I learned something from my pastor, talking about my pastor a minute ago. He said, whenever someone would tell me, I'm sorry, pastor, I just didn't get to it. I just didn't have time. And in my mind, I translate that to say, it just wasn't that important to me. Because you make time for what's important for you. Amen? We do. And, and guys, this ain't shaming, okay? For a second, you're like, do I say amen to that? That's, I mean, for some of you, your family's important to you, so you make, you make lots of time for family time. That's an example of you making time for what's important to you. So your, your, your priorities are in line. And so when someone says, I, I just didn't have time, most of the times it just wasn't that important to you. Because if it was deeply rooted in who you are, if it was deeply rooted in what you believed, what you believed would then translate into some sort of action. So I contend that you are what you do. Now, I know there's seasons of your life where you may be a student, and so you're in a season of your life where you can't live out your beliefs, but you will get older. And that's why when you look over, the, when you look over someone's life, we don't look at what they believed. We look at what they did in order to know what really mattered to them, what, what, what truly mattered to them. So there's this, this gap between what we believe and what we do, and I want to wrestle with that gap today. Can we do that together? So let's go back to the story now. In this story, we have two builders. We have the wise builder who built his house on the rock, and then we have the foolish builder who built his house on the sand. Now, both of these builders wanted the same exact thing. They wanted a house. They wanted a place to dwell. If they were family people, they wanted a place for their family. A home is a place where you should feel safe and secure. A home is a place where you should feel loved and accepted. Now, on the exterior of those two homes, you can look at those two homes, the one built on the rock and the one built on sand, and you would never know the difference of either home. On the outside, as a matter of fact, the house built on the rock and the house built on sand looked exactly the same. Now, here's the first thing that I want you to write down. The foundation of your home is never visible. The foundation. What you build on, your foundation is not visible. People see what's on the outside. People see what you have already built up, but your foundation isn't seen. That's why when you go to buy a house, you get someone to come in and do your home inspection. As a matter of fact, you have to have that done in the state of California. All you homeowners know what I'm talking about. And the, what they do is they come in to do the home inspection before you buy the house because, frankly, you wouldn't know what a bad foundation looked like. I mean, unless you're in construction, then you would probably know. But for most people who don't work in that field, you wouldn't know if the foundation was right. So you got to get someone in there to tell you, hey, this is a good foundation. You want someone to tell you when the wall's crooked, don't you? You're getting ready to, I mean, you're in, you're in California, so you're not going to drop anything less than like half a mil on a home. So, I mean, it's like you got, you've got, you want to make sure you're going into something that's smart. You want to make sure you're going into something that's built well. And so you bring someone in, and they're going to come, and they're going to check the foundation and give you all that facts and information. So the foundation of the home is never visible. But, but watch this. Rain and floods and wind are eventually going to test the foundation. The second thing that I want you to write down is while foundations are not visible, foundations are tested. Your foundations are absolutely tested. 
And you will be tested here in this life. Because I may not see your foundation, but I'll know your foundation based on the way that you react when someone cuts you off on the freeway. Yeah, we're going to know what your house is built on when somebody cuts you off on the freeway. Uh, we'll know your foundation when someone starts messing with your money. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to know who you are when someone starts to mess with your money. Let an old girlfriend from high school slide into your DMs. We'll know your foundation. We'll know what your foundation is all about. You see, foundations, while they're not visible, foundations are tested. Your foundations will be tested. In the parable of this, the wise and the foolish builder, it was through the seasons and the testing that the foundations were exposed. Because on the outside, everything looks good when you build on rock and when you build on sand. But when the weather comes, when the weather hits, we're going to find out exactly what that foundation is made of. Just last week, I was doing some premarital counseling. I have a cousin who said, hey, you know, I'm getting married. Would you come to our premarital counseling? I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, I want you to do my premarital counseling. I said, all right, we going in, we going in. Because I learned, I, I, you know, when I do premarital counseling, I like to ask a lot of questions. Because too many people get ready for a too many people get ready for the wedding and don't get enough, they don't do enough to get ready for the marriage. They get ready for the wedding. Oh, they're ready for the wedding, but are they ready for a marriage? Because the day comes and goes, and the marriage is what's left. And so while you're busy picking out colors and flowers and caterers, make sure you spend more time figuring out how you guys are going to treat each other after that first fight. Because you're gonna fight. Oh, you're going to fight. Can all the married people say amen? And I began to ask them, so what's your budget? They were just like, well, you know, the florist, you know, we got everything covered. for this. I'm not talking about your wedding. I'm like, you got a rich dad. I know that's getting paid for. I'm talking about your bills. Do you know her debt? She got some debt. No, no, do you know what her debt is? No, I hadn't thought to ask. No, that's your debt now. That's your debt now. Oh. Okay. Do, do you know how much money he makes? A lot. No, no. Do you know? Like, do you know his credit score? Right? These are the questions. You get what I'm saying? Too many, too, too many girls are just thinking about flowers and the men are just thinking about the honeymoon, if I can be real. Okay? And so, think about it. And, and so, we got to get them thinking about the things that they really need to be thinking about. And I'm, and I'm prodding, and I begin to let them know, listen, what's going to happen is that wedding's going to be amazing. You're going to look beautiful. Everything's going to get paid for. Everyone is going to have a blast. And you're going to go on your honeymoon, and everything's going to be fine. But then Christmas is going to come around, and you're going to fight over whose family you're going to be spending Christmas with. How many of you know that's grown folk talk right there? And it's funny when both of them say at the same time, mine. Oh, yeah, okay. Y'all got to work that out. And then you got to start thinking about where we're going to live. You know, what, what are our values going to be? How are we going to raise our kids? And so the foundations matter. Your foundations will be tested on the outside. Everything looks good. But, but what you build your foundation on, that's what's really going to last. Are you going to build on rock? Or are you going to be building on sand? Because it was just easier to do. So I liken our foundation to values and principles. Everybody say values. Say it louder. Say values. Next thing I want you to write down, the foundations of your life are your values, your principles, the things that you live by. That's your foundation. And if you have not started to establish your foundation, you got to start establishing your foundation right now. 
You've got to start identifying what is your foundation right now. What are your values that you're living by? What are the principles that you're living by? There's so many values that you can have in your life, but those three that I wanted to pull out. Number one, how do you treat other people? How many of you know that's got to be a value in your life? How do you treat people? Because Jesus said, it was so important, Jesus said, at this, I want you to treat other people the way that you would want people to be treated. He says, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. It, it, was, it, it mattered so much to Jesus how we treated people that he talked a lot about it. When people said, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love God and love people. I want you to love God. I want you to love people. They only asked Jesus for the one greatest commandment of them all. They said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of them all? And he responded with two. Love God, love people. Because he said, you can't have one without the other. I want you to love other people. That's a value. How do you treat people? And I'm not talking about people you agree with. No, 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 no. That's easy. I'm not talking about the people that fit your demographic or your in-group. That's easy. I'm talking about how do you treat people? People. Sons and daughters of God that may or may not look like you, may or may not vote like you, may or may not make the money that you make, may or may not live in your side of town, may or may not agree with your religious beliefs. How do you treat people? That's the value you've got to establish for your life. That's the value that you've got to live by. Number two, what do you do with your time? What, what do you give yourself to? The Word of God teaches us that only what we do for Christ will last. You see, we teach this in growth track. This is why I want to get you there. There's a lot of things that you could give your time to. A lot of things that you can give your time to. Good things. But I always teach, don't just give your time to good things. Give your time to things that are going to have an eternal impact. I am all for beach cleanup sustainability. I am all for protecting animals. I am all for all of that stuff. But not everything that's a good thing has an eternal impact. So it's good to get involved with those things, but do not neglect the things that are about, that are, are going to infect someone's soul. This is why I hear a lot of us say, do the good things, but don't neglect the God things. Because the Bible says only what you do for Christ will last. There's other things that are good, but they're not going to last. So you have to ask yourselves, what am I giving my time to? Because only what, what, what do I do with my time? What, what do I get of, of all the gifts and the talents that God has given me? What am I doing with them? What am I doing with the gifts and the talents that God has given me? The third thing, and again, there's many more, but the third thing, this one's, this one's a heart thing right here. What do you do with your money? That, notice how I said that's a heart thing. That's not a wallet thing. That's a heart thing. Because Jesus taught that where your money is, that's where your heart is. You know that Jesus talked about money? Like, I, I, I think he talked about that more than any other subject in, in the Bible other than just salvation. He talked a lot about money. But it had nothing to do with just the dollar. It had to do with their heart. Because he knew that the way we spend our money is truly a reflection of our hearts. And so the reason we're even going to be talking about money through this legacy series is because we're actually trying to deal with your heart. I want to deal with your heart. But I know that the way to your heart is when I talk about your money. That's why you don't want me to talk about your money. Like, Pastor, just preach Jesus and don't talk about my money. Leave the money alone. No, no, no. It, it, it's, a, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. Do we bring your tithing? Do you bring your offering into God's house? Are you generous with the, the resources that God has given you? Are you living generously? No person who's ever impacted this world was a stingy person. I've just never seen it. I've just never seen it. I love when you listen to people like Bill Gates, and I'm not talking beliefs. I'm talking about heart. 
he's even said, you know, when we, when we, when we pass away, we're not giving all of our money to our kids. No, no, no. They've, they've got to figure it out for themselves. We're actually going to get all this money and put it right back into the, to the market, right back into the financial place. So we're going to make sure they're okay. But, I mean, from what we've received, we're going to give it away. I love people who live like that. Because you realize money is really just something that God has given you to temporarily hold here on this earth. And it has no eternal significance. You know, yesterday, my nephew passed away um, on October 27th. He was 20 years old. And um, it, it, was, it was really sad. Every circumstance that surrounded my nephew's death. And um, yesterday, we celebrated his life. But it confirmed what many of you know that need to be reminded of. You don't take your stuff with you. When you pass away, you never take your stuff with you. So, so your money, what do, you, what do you do with what God has given you? Those are values that you need to build on. And, and our values as a church mirror some of those things. We teach you to love God. We teach you to love people. Okay? We, 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 want, you to, um, we, we, we want you to always choose joy in your life. And then we also want you to have an excellent spirit. Those are our four values. Just, just love God. Love people, have an excellent spirit, and always choose joy. Those are the things that we build our church on. Those are the things that we value here at this church. So we think if you do that, it lines up with those things, those three things that I just talked to you about. And, and, and when you build your life on those sort of values, establishing those things, you're going to build on a rock. Everybody say rock. Now, why do people build on sin? It it's really, really comes down to one thing, convenience. It's so much easier to build on sand. And I really believe, it's the next point that I want you to write down, building on a rock requires more of you. It requires more of you to set your values and to live by those things. It's so much easier to not be nice to people. <laughs> Do I have any introverts in the room? Come on, where are my introverts here in the room? How many of you are just like, I'd be so much happier if people would just go away? Like that? You may not know this about me, but I'm an introvert. You might be thinking, how could you be an introvert and be like up on the stage and talking? Uh, that's a gift that has nothing to do with my makeup. I am an introvert. You stick me in a room full of people that I don't know, I will find the closest corner of the room to just kind of stand there and look. Now, you might be thinking, but I've seen you here at the church. Do you know how hard it is for me to put a smile on my face, to hug you, to high five you, to tell you you look amazing today? I'm being serious right now. Do you know how hard that is for me? But I do that because I believe that's what, that's what God wants me to do. And I've worked so hard at it. So if you think, well, Pastor Josh is just an extrovert, I'm not. I wish people would go away sometimes. I really do. Leave me alone at home. Me and my three boys will be fine all by ourselves. But, but I have to, I can't live like that. I, I can't live it just saying, well, just, this just is the way I am. Listen, you are the way that God made you to be, but that doesn't mean God doesn't challenge you and stretch you to live the way he wants you to live. That's my burden. And I, you know what I'm also not good at? And, and we do this in, in the disc assessment and growth track. I'm also not good at giving people any recognition whatsoever. I think it has to do with my, my defense contracting background because our customer was the military in a very militant environment. Like, like no one's going to say good job for doing your job. You get what I'm saying? Like no one's giving you, no one's going to tell you good job today. You showed up on time. No, you're supposed to show up on time. No one's going to clap because you 
showed up on time. And so when, when, when I left the corporate world and I came into the church space, I really had to work on this because a volunteer would show up and they'd be serving and I wouldn't thank them. And I'm like, well, it's their job. They showed up. They're serving. They're supposed to be serving. It's what they signed up for. No, no, no. They don't, no one's paying them to be there. They're there because they want to put a smile on someone's face and help prop up this church. And so it takes a lot. I mean, that's why we do dream team rallies. I thank people. I let them know job well done. But just get what I'm telling you, folks. It's a stretch for me to tell you a good job. So when you get one of those, you wear that, okay? You wear that, all right? That's hard for me. But seriously, thanks, thanks for indulging me. But, uh, but, but seriously, um, these values that, that I've lived by, it, they, they're not easy for me, it's not easy. There are some people that have the gift of generosity that are just so generous with their finances, and your mind might be like, that's just not the way I'm wired, Pastor. You know, just not wired that way. Let God touch your heart. Let him radically change you. Some of you have a hard time treating people, all people, justly, the way they should be treated. I, 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 whether they have a home or not, do you treat all people like sons and daughters of God? Some people are amazing with this. I mean, they're just amazing. My, my friend Salah here, he's amazing with this. The stuff that him and his organization does with the homeless community, it's amazing. But for some of you, that's a lot of work. You're like, go feed homeless? I just don't bend in that direction. That's okay. You don't have to bend in that direction. You just still got to do it because that's what God asks you to do. He says, as you've treated the least of these, you've done it unto me. So you don't have to bend in that direction, but you still got to do it. You get what I'm saying? That's the hard digging. That's why building on a rock is going to require more of you because when you set the right values in your life and you start building on those values, it is not easy to do. I mean, I'm not a construction guy. There's some guys in this room that this is just what you do. I mean, some of y'all make countertops out of granite and you cut hard things. and I wouldn't even know where to start with you guys, okay? I got a toolbox at home and all my tools are shiny. Just don't use them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm really good at calling people. I'm great at calling people. My wife's like, something broke. I'll get right on it. She's like, can't you do it? I'm like, no, I can't. I really can't. I'm, that's not my gift. Um, you know, but, but you know what I'm talking about, that to, to cut into rock and to drill into rock. And I think the reason he, Jesus gives us that example of the, the rock and the sand is because if you're going to use the rock for your foundation, it requires a lot of work to build on that. It's going to cost you something to build on the rock. But when you've built on the rock, it is going to last. It's going to survive. It's going to endure. The sand is easy to build on. I mean, literally, the analogy, if you will, you take your kids to the beach. What do they want to do? Build a sand castle. Building on sand is childish because even a kid can do it. it. Anyone can build on sand. But can you build on rock? Can, can you put some values in your life and dig deep into those foundations and say, this is the type of person that I am going to be? This is the type of person. And I believe that Jesus calls us, watch this, to do the hard things so that we can go through the hard things. I believe Jesus calls us to do the hard things so we can go through the hard things. When the hard things come, and they will come, when your marriage is tested, when your faith is tested, can you go through the hard things? As I shared with you, my, my nephew who was 20 years old passed away, and I've had to walk that journey with my cousin. I mean, I got the phone call 
a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday, and the very next day I was in Arizona with my cousin, and and I've been um, I've been so amazed at how he and his wife have been really making an impact on this world because if you see the videos that they are posting, if you see how they are living life even after having lost, no father should ever have to bury a son ever under any circumstance, and just to see how encouraged they are. They're going through the hard thing, but they can survive the hard thing because they've done the hard thing. They live on Christ's foundation. They've learned to worship God in the good and in the bad. Anyone can worship God when your life is going well. Anyone can. It's, it's easy to sing when all is well. It's easy to worship God. Your house looks good when everything is going right. But how does your house look when sicknesses hit your family? How does your house look when death hits your family? How does your house look when things aren't going well, when things aren't going the way that you thought that they would go? How does your house look in those moments? Because Jesus said, I want you to build on the rock because hard times will come. You will be tested. You will be tested. And as a personal application, I, I, I want you to think about that. What, what values do I have? my life what are the values that you hold to your life and if if you don't have any this is a great opportunity for you to start writing some things down and, and i mean right i'm actually working on getting some journals for everyone here at the church um i believe in i believe in journals i don't believe in diaries okay i'm a man i'm just kidding um i don't diary my day um but i do believe in journals okay um i, I write a lot i write things that god is telling me and, and what I do with my journals is on the front page, I, I, I write down the day I bought my journal. And when I retire a journal, I write down the day that I retired the journal. And then I'll write some significant things that happened in my life in the time that I had that journal. But this, I mean, this thing has lots of conversations that I've had with God. And, and so when I say write down your values, put your phone away, get some pen and paper, and write your values down. Write them down. Think about it. Work on your values. Ask yourself, how am I going to treat people? Ask yourself, how, how, what, am I, what, what type of person am I going to be with my money? Ask yourself, what type of person am I going to be with my time? What am I going to do with my time? Write those things down. And, and in my office at, at the church, I've got my bottom drawer where I've just started to stack my journals. They're just starting to stack up now. It's just journal after journal. This one's actually done. Probably by the end of the year, I'll be done. I'll be ready for a new one. And, and, and I just stack up my journals. I'm writing down the things that God is speaking to me. I, when I read the Bible, I don't just read the Bible, but I also keep my journal next to me, and I write down things that God is saying to me. I write it down. I put my phone away. I know some of you are like, but I do that on my phone because I got messages, notifications, and I got ADD, okay? So the minute someone likes a photo, I'm like, who is that? You know, and before you know, you're all distracted. So I put the phone away. I get the journal out. I get the Bible out, whatever I'm reading, and I just spend my quiet time with God. I'm writing those things down. You should be writing down your values. Write them down. What are your values as a family? Husbands and wives, what do you value together? Figure that out. Figure that out. Know what they are. Write them down and make them hard. Make them some stuff that's not always going to be easy. Because when you got those values down, you can always go back to them and say, hey, 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 here at this house, these are the values we live by. These are the values we live by. And as a church, you know, when I think about this church, that's why at seven months old, we're talking about doing an end-of-year offering where we're going to give the majority of that money away because we're trying to put some values in this church as well. And, and, and I can't stand up here and preach about being generous if we as a church are not generous. I can't talk to you about being 
a faithful steward with your money if we as a church aren't being faithful with our money. That's why, that's why at seven months old, seeing that we are positioned to do this because we're making budget every single month, I felt comfortable. You know, we can do this as a church. We could, we could sow into another church. We're only seven months old, but we can sow into this project that's going to help women get out of sex trafficking. We can sow into this organization that partners fatherless boys with mentors and support. We can sow into another church so that all of North County, this whole 78 corridor, will have the opportunity to know Jesus. We could sow. We can do something amazing together because we as a church want to leave a legacy. You know, I, I, I'm at a point now. You see, you've been doing this. I've been in the ministry now for 20 years. 20 years. I was 19 years old when, when I entered into the ministry. I'm 39 years old now. 20 years. I've been in this long enough to know that what matters more to me is not what other churches think about me. It's what does this city say about me. So I want to know, what does San Marcos say about us? I could care less if the church down the streets likes our stuff or doesn't like our stuff. I ain't doing it for them. They got their own church. Love them. We're doing this together. But my opinion is not moved or shaped by another church. I want to know, first off, are we pleasing God? And number two, if this church goes away, if Lighthouse closes its doors tomorrow, would San Marcos miss us? Have we left a legacy? Because we as a church need to leave a legacy. Are we living beyond ourselves? As I mentioned, I was at a funeral yesterday for my nephew. But uh, again, after 20 years of ministry, I've done a few funerals. I've done some crazy, I've done some wild funerals. Funerals are funny. Funerals are funny. Um, they're sad, but, I mean, they can be funny. Like, I've, I've seen some crazy things happen at funerals. Um, but here's what I've noticed at every funeral that I've done. You want to know what we talk about when we're talking about that person? Always. We talk about what they did. Not once I've ever done a funeral slaw where I said, well, you know, he really believed this, and he believed that, and he believed, oh, he had some good beliefs. Never been to a funeral where we talked about that. We talked about, oh, he gave himself to this, and he gave himself to this, and he gave himself to this. So let, 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 let's not this whole, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not what I do. Yeah, you are. Because when your day is done and it's your funeral, they're going to talk about what you gave yourself to. They're going to talk about what you did. I've not been to a funeral where we close it out talking about what they believed. And I've been to some amazing funerals where, where, where I'm talking about the life of this person. I'm like, oh, my God, he had an impact. And then I've been to some funerals. We're scrounging to find something to say. I know that's painful to admit, but I've been to some funerals, and I'm talking to them like, to them like what are we going to say about sister so-and-so? And the family's like, say this maybe, say this, say this, where there's been a shortage of things to talk about because they just didn't do much. So you have to live with a little bit of that in mind as well. What will they say about me when my life is gone? What will they say about me at my funeral? We're going to talk about what you gave yourself to, and whether it be softball. I heard some great stories. He was an amazing coach. He impacted lives, impacted young ladies' lives. A friend of mine, I, I, I presided over his brother's funeral, and, and I could just, I walked away knowing this guy right here, was an amazing athlete, and he was an amazing coach for for uh, for uh, women's softball. But he wasn't just an amazing coach; he impacted their lives because the amount of players that showed up. So I knew right away this guy was a coach. That's what he did. That's the impact he had. Had another. Um, it's funny. It's another. I buried his father as well, and and same thing. And presiding over that one, 
I knew right away his, his dad was a teacher. And I'm not talking about a teacher for profession. I'm talking about he was a teacher in life. He's a teacher. Graduated from the University of Southern California, you know, um, retired from the military, was on the district board of the National School District. But he was just always teaching people, not always in the class, some of it in the classroom, but was just a teacher. So you ask yourself, what are they going to say about me? What are they going to say about you? What will your legacy be? And are you building on the right stuff? I want you to lean in and let's close our eyes and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day and I thank you for this time to talk, Lord God, and to really begin a discussion about our legacy, to begin a discussion, Father, about how we are living our lives. Are we living our lives, Lord God? Just to receive something from this world that makes us feel good here and now? Or, Father, are we living our lives in such a way that we leave a legacy? That, that we, we live beyond ourselves. Are we living in such a way, Father, that when all is said and done, this world has passed away, and we've gone to meet you up in heaven, Father, are we living in such a way that we've left our mark on this world, that we've left a legacy here? People have found you. People have met you. We've given, we've given our, our, ourselves to things that matter things that have eternal significance, things that have eternal consequence. Are we doing the things, God? Are we living really, Father, beyond ourselves? So, Father, in this moment, I just pray right now over every person here that we would just begin to prioritize those conversations, that we would begin to live life on principle, live life on purpose, really begin to live our life, Lord God, thinking about how we can make our mark as well, not living just for the here and the now. God, I pray that we wake up to the realization, Father, that our stuff ain't going with us. None of that is going with us. But what we leave behind is our legacy. In your name, Jesus. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, stand up on our feet. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others. Or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.